Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the Monday or the midweek main point here at Rose of Sharon Baptist Church. I'm Jonathan Hendrickson, joined with uh, the, all of our pastoral staff here, uh, Jeremiah Custer, youth pastor, Blake Flincham, our children's pastor, and Reverend Jeff McCarthy, our uh, senior pastor. Uh, here on Monday main point, uh, if you don't know what we do here, or yeah, like I said, it's midweek main point, all that's because it's Wednesday when we're recording this. Um, but on the main point, we... We, we kind of uh, look back at the message from uh, from Sunday, and we as a pastoral staff, we do this anyway. We get together, we discuss it, we talk about uh, some uh, some things that, you know, insights we might have, questions we might have had, uh, and we just kind of dig a little bit deeper into the message because, uh, quite frankly, as pastors and preachers, we, uh, sometimes 20 to 30 minutes, we... we is not enough time to cram in everything that we find and discover when we're putting sermons together. So uh, this gives us a chance to kind of look at things a little bit more in depth. And so I'm happy to be joined here with, uh, with pastoral staff and ready to get into another lively discussion over one of my favorite texts in the Bible, actually. Um, and, and that is uh, the text we find in Mark uh, chapter 9. And this is the one that uh, this is the story of the man who brings uh, the, the Jesus and his disciples are up at the Mount of Transfiguration. Well, his inner circle of disciples, the other nine, as you mentioned, Jeff, are, are down below. And this man brings his uh, demon-possessed child to them to have them exercise this demon, but they can't do it. And um, Jesus is coming down off of the mountain uh, after after having this incredible experience, he and his other disciples are coming down the mountain. He's met by this crowd, and there's obviously been this, this debate going on, uh, what have you. And he finds out the disciples weren't able to do, weren't able to uh, exercise the demon. And so uh, when we pick up, I'll, I'll um, bring uh, bring it to verse 20. So they bring him. Uh, they bring this man and his son to him, and the, when the spirit saw him, or when this evil spirit, right, sees Jesus, it immediately convulsed the boy. He falls to the ground, rolls around, foaming at the mouth. And Jesus says, how long has this been happening to him? And the man says, from childhood. And, and many times it's thrown him into fire or water to destroy him. So it's obviously been a very traumatic experience with this, with this little boy, and, um, or with his son that he has. And then the man says, but if... But if you, Jesus, can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And then Jesus says to him, if you can, like kind of says as a question, right? If you can. And he says, everything is possible to the one who believes. And then we get this cry, this man, and, and this is really where, where we're going to spend a lot of time today. Um, it's immediately the father of the boy cries out, I do believe, help my unbelief. And when Jesus sees the crowd coming together, he rebukes the unclean spirit, saying, You mute and deaf spirit, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. It comes out, uh, shrinking and convulsing him violently, but the boy became like a corpse of me. He thought he was dead. But Jesus took him by the hand, raised him up, and he stood. And afterwards, he went into a house. His disciples asked him privately, Hey, why couldn't we drive it out? And he told them, This kind can come out by nothing but prayer and fasting. And we'll, we'll, that's kind of, that's the end of the text that really, that you explored in your message. And so the message was uh, entitled, Help My Unbelief. And there, um, you actually had four four points um, 
You broke the Baptist code here, by the way, and did four points instead of the traditional three, for which you get, um, you know, one demerit. Uh, so, <laughs> plus, there wasn't any, uh, there there wasn't any alliteration in those points, Jeff. So uh, another demerit. Uh, it's just awful. No, I'm kidding. Um, but there there are four points. We'll 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 look at these in in, in turn because I think um, there's something with each one of these. Because let's I think really at the heart of what we want to talk about today is sort of what you you hit on in your in, introduction and also really in your conclusion throughout the message as well. This notion of people who struggle between these areas of belief and unbelief and or belief and and doubt, right? And at some some level, um, I think everybody, and, and I do mean everybody, um, everybody struggles with doubt at some point. Um, whether it's um, doubt of an intellectual nature, um, maybe you run across a passage of scripture or something you just don't understand, or whether it's doubt that comes from um, just an experience, an experiential thing where maybe you've lost a loved one. Or um, some, some one of your children suddenly becomes sick, or maybe you can't have kids. You know those kind, or you lose your job. You know those kind of tragic, traumatic things that cause you to question whether God is a real, whether if He is real, whether He cares about you, um, and if and, and if He does care about you, then is He is He really powerful? You know those kinds of questions, those doubts that rise up. And I think at some level, I think that's what this man was was dealing with. I think he, he believed. He clearly said, "I do believe." Otherwise, he wouldn't have brought he wouldn't brought his son to Jesus if he didn't believe. But at some level, he has doubt as well, and he asked Jesus to help him with his doubt. Where does this doubt come from? Well, I think it, you 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 tackle it in the first two points. And the first one is that is this that sometimes it comes when there's cultural opposition. When there's opposition that comes from the culture, and um, I did like what you what you drew out, and you took pains to do this, um, but and, uh, the, the idea that um, when he comes down, he sees these these scribes, and you mentioned it, I think, uh, in in your message that the scribes of that time, um, the best way I guess to think about them is in well, we don't really have a good analog in our modern day system. I mean. But maybe lawyers would that be accurate, guys? I mean, something like a lawyer. They they they, they were familiar with the Jewish law and Jewish tradition uh, because they had to write it down all the time, and and so they became known as uh, the interpreters of law. And so I think you pointed it out that like even kings and and, and governors and stuff would sort of defer to what they had to say. Right, but like Herod wanted to know about that's right. the Magi. He he referred to the scribes who told him, you know, it's supposed to be Bethlehem and right. you know, all this stuff. So. And, and, and in addition, you brought this out too, in addition to the Mosaic Law, which they, they would have known, you had all these other laws that had been developed in order for them to make sure that they were keeping the Mosaic Law. So it's, you know, like, I think you call them super laws. And, 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 and those became a primary focus. So like, you know, we're not supposed to do things on the Sabbath or whatever, you know, or, or we're not supposed to. So then we need rules to keep us from making sure we never do anything on the Sabbath. So we also can't do this or that. And Jesus frequently questioned, he kind of ran up against this system of, of thought that, uh, that you know, um, 
it's all about the letter of the law instead of, I think, you know, the, the, the heart behind the letter of the law. Um, one of the questions I had, guys, um, when I was thinking about this and going back and listening to the message again, is obviously these, get, these scribes have been in some sort of great debate um, or controversy or whatever with the disciples. What are they debating? What do you think that, that, that I mean, the Bible doesn't say, can we, is, is it safe to speculate here or is, is it better to just leave it alone? What do you, what do you guys think? Because I think there's obviously something going on here. The Bible doesn't clearly say, but are they debating on over over the disciples' inability to 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 do this, and what, or on, on their on whether Jesus could do this? This guy brought his son to Jesus. Jesus isn't there, so the disciples are standing in for Jesus, but they can't do what's supposed to be done. Any thoughts? Yeah, I kind of always just assumed they were debating the eight disciples. Who didn't go on the mountain, or is it is it nine? Nine. nine. Yeah. Yeah, it's nine because three go up, right? Yeah. yeah. So the nine disciples that didn't go on the mountain, and then there's some scribes, probably some Pharisees there, and then a larger crowd even around them. Mm-hmm. I always just assumed they were debating, like why they couldn't cast this demon out. Mm. Um, I might be wrong, but that's what I always yeah. Assumed. And so because immediately the guy cries out in the crowd. Like they're debating, and Jesus says, "Why? Why are you debating them?" And then, in the context, literally, the very next thing is someone from the crowd answered. Yeah, right. Like, yeah, answered the question. Yeah. So, so I didn't really speculate what they were debating, but some commentaries make the assumption then that that's probably what they were debating. That you know, here are these your your leaders not here, and this man came to you, and you can't cast out this demon, and because earlier they had been able to. Right, um, you brought that so, up. Yeah, so there's whole... So a lot of people assume that's what it's all about, about the speculation that... Um, excuse me. All right, so um, so a lot of people bring, bring it up that there was speculation that that's what they were arguing about was the inability for the man to, to um, uh, have his son healed. Right. Now, you could draw that out and assume that, but I didn't want to make that assumption right, because they could, have been, they could have been yeah. debating any number of things. Right. And then when Jesus asked the scribes, they really didn't answer. Maybe there was like a pause, and so the guy sees this as his opportunity. Hey. Right. You know, but but he could have been answering for them, saying, yeah, I brought my kid here, and they couldn't do it. So whatever they were debating, uh, you know, we really don't know exactly what it was but more than likely it was about jesus's authority and power and that they didn't have any yeah but i I like what you drew out of this so even if we don't know what they're debating the fact is is this guy's in a desperate situation something we you know has been a common theme with all these that we've looked at over the course of may this is a guy in a desperate situation he's brought his he's brought his kid um he's brought his problem to jesus Mm because he believes that jesus as um, you know, Jesus has the ability to, to, to solve this problem that he has with his son, his demon-possessed son. And instead of getting the help that he's really looking for, he, he gets, you know, he's an audience to a debate. Yeah, and that was the whole point was, uh, you know, trying try to make the transition to us is like, if I'm in a desperate situation or if I think that I have a friend that's a Christian and I want to come and get the help I need and I'm coming to the disciple and all I hear about when I come to that person is 
a political debate or some debate about morality or some kind of debate about you know the existence of God. So if I'm coming to this person, it doesn't really matter what the debate's about. Hey, I need help. Right. Yeah. And so um, I think that's what happens to a lot of people in our culture today. And that's right why I say cultural opposition because there is opposition in our culture, and there are there are means through the government and through policies and through education and through social media where where a a uh, the what you're supposed to believe and how you're supposed to act is kind of like ingrained in a culture out there mm-hmm. especially when it comes to Christianity and Jesus so if I'm actually seeking Jesus and I really don't know but I'm hearing what the culture is saying then I enter into this debate about who Jesus is and so we as Christians have to be careful um, you know to get not not to be the ones that were always the ones that are in some debate or some opposition when there's people clearly out there that that really are trying to come to Jesus. Right, right, and 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 it makes me think. Um, I know I know it's not exactly the same thing because here you have, um, what well, it is in some ways. You have, you have you have on one hand you've got representatives of Jesus and his teachings. On the other hand, you've got representatives of the scribes. So it becomes this theological debate. And I think of I think of all the times where um, Christians can just bite each other up. And I mean, like you're at you're at seminary yeah. on a regular basis. So I'm sure you see more of these kinds of arguments and stuff. But like theological arguments and things like that. And you think from an unbeliever standpoint, or from somebody who's struggling to find stability or find to fight through doubts, the last thing they the last thing they need is for two people or for two parties to go at each other's throat over over something and basically it just all it does is sort of increase the doubt as opposed to decrease them. Does that make sense? Oh yeah, for sure. And yeah, especially in uh, deep theological circles, there's a lot of debate. There's a lot of things to debate. But, you know, there's one thing if you're debating just to like help your brother or sister grow in Christ. It's another thing to debate just for the sake of arguing. Yeah, there's some people at seminary. I'll just go ahead and admit I would not want to take to a gospel conversation like with a Mormon or somebody who's in, in unbelief or somebody like that because they're just going to sit and argue with them, mm. try to prove a point, and that's just going to push them way, way further away from the gospel. Sure. And you know, I want to go and hear them out, and you know, in a you know more polite, you know, discreet manner, challenge what they believe. Just say, okay, but you say this, but this in your faith, you know, in your belief says this, but, you know, have a conversation, not an argument. Right. Is, I think, a lot of where Christians tend to maybe fall a little bit below the where they should be. At. Yeah, I mean, I, I yeah. you know, I, I love apologetics and yeah. things, but one, one, of my, one of my big um, problems with some apologists, anyway, is that they would rather they'd rather beat people up as opposed to, and you know, they're, they're just spooling for fights. Yeah, yeah. Score, scoring points. Scoring points and spooling for fights. And, 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 and you see it you see it online a lot. I oh, mean, okay. it's really bad online, but both theological debates and then also just political debates. And you see a lot of that kind of stuff. And you gotta think from an unbeliever perspective. You know, from an unbeliever's perspective, I'm an unbeliever, uh, you know, to, to, to use what you were talking about. I'm going through COVID, you know, I'm going through 2020, which is this horrible year. I'm looking for some kind of answer, right? I'm, I'm to help me. And, you know, oh, I know what I'll do. Um, I'm hearing that churches are, are online right now, you know, and, and, and are putting their services online. And so I go out there and, you know, I'm bombarded with 
in some cases, not all, but I'm bombarded with political stuff. I'm bombarded with, I, Jeremiah, I go back and think about like when all these churches that were making it, making the sermon all about fighting the government on whether they should be open or not, you know, and, and, and so you've got to think as an unbeliever, what, what kind of impression does that make? Yeah, I mean, when uh, it first went down, there was a lot of articles that were clickbait and, you know, how titles are. They would say things like, uh, they won't let us worship or right. they won't, yeah. we can't do this, can't do that, and therefore they're... So, yeah, you hear all that and you hear the news, right? And sometimes people want to turn off the news and find a better source. Well, then, like you said, they turn on... Uh, they find a church who's doing their stuff online, and guess what? They hear the news again. <laughs> yeah. And it's like... And it's not the good news. It's not no, the good news, no, the yeah. gospel. It's, no. it's just, it's the, just the same stuff. It's just repeated, uh, maybe with a little bit of nuance, like Christianity thrown in, but... Uh, and, and that just... It doesn't offer much. I remember yeah. one time I was in... Uh, I was in a small group, but the small group consisted of a lot of seminary students. And uh, I'm a pretty practical guy, kind of street-level guy uh, in my thinking. And these two dudes were arguing about the stupidest thing. It was like, it was a Greek argument, like whether this participle, it was this participle <laughs> or this participle. And I felt like I knew the answer and I didn't engage with them. But they were more passionate about arguing about that than say something that actually mattered. Right. Like street-level application. Uh, and and just to be honest with you, they couldn't do it. They couldn't talk to someone on the street, just like a regular conversation. They were using that word "cabal," <laughs> yeah, that you know, unnecessary and petty objection. Yeah, yeah. To each other. yeah, right. So yeah. So yeah, I so I, I, I get then um, why you know in some ways and and, and look, I don't think people mean to do it. It's not like they're they're maliciously trying to do this, but when we when we engage like that in the public marketplace, all we're doing is offering up more reasons for people to doubt Christianity, more reasons for unbelief than there are for belief, and and so it doesn't it doesn't benefit the kingdom for you to go out there and. I mean, look, the culture does it well enough on its own. We have a very secular culture that we're living in. We don't need, we don't need Christians adding to the reasons for, for doubt. Um, we need Christians to, to be unified, at least in the public marketplace, on things that really matter. I, I, think, that's, I think that's key there. But then that gets into your second point, Jeff. And, 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 and the second point is just as powerful as the first point in that it talks about the power of the church or the lack thereof, right? Not that, okay, so I'm gonna be clear here. We understand and know that we don't have power to save anyone. That power comes from Jesus Christ alone. However, um, the, the, the disciples here um, are, are unable for some reason um, to accomplish what 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 Jesus has commissioned them to accomplish and he's actually told them hey um, go out and do these things and like you said you pointed out in, in, in an earlier passage I think it's in Mark Mark, yeah, six. Mark, Mark six. six um that that he had commissioned them to 
um, to exercise demons. So he had told them to go out and do this. They had done it. Yeah, they came back and reported that they did. They had done it. But for whatever reason, and again, we're not really told, um, uh, it seems as though they're they're powerless in this instance. Um, and and I like I like what you say here. The doubt comes in sometimes for those who are um, wanting to believe but are struggling, right? Or 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 even those who are believers and uh, and doubt creeps in. Part of the time is from cultural opposition or from those kinds of things, but sometimes it's because um, we've. Uh, I think you said the church is without spiritual power. And the only way I can think of that we're without spiritual power is when we unplug from Jesus. Mm-hmm. Um, that when we get away from Jesus, that's the only time we're without spiritual power. And so when we've made our focus or when we've made our goal or our purpose something other than Christ, whether that's building up our own church, whether that's um, you know trying to push some sort of agenda, or even I mean even churches that just get over overcome with this idea of pushing vision, you know it, it's almost like like church for a while like churches became more like businesses. They started operating like businesses more than they did uh, institutions or, or not institutions, but but communities of 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 faith based in Jesus Christ. And I think when you get away from Jesus, when you unplug from Jesus, that's when you're without spiritual power. I don't know if the disciples had done that in this instance. Well, clearly Jesus isn't present with them, right? I mean, that's part of, um, I, I'm not sure um, what had happened here, but maybe maybe they had lost, you know, you mentioned that, that he says in verse 19, um, because the, the man says, I asked your disciples to drive it out, but they couldn't, right? right. Um, and he says, you unbelieving generation, how long will I be with you? How long must I put up with you? And you made a point, like, who is he saying that to? Is he saying that to everybody present? Is he saying that to the Jews? Is he saying that to the, the scribes and, like Jeremiah said, some of the Pharisees that might have been there, the, like the religious leaders? Is he saying that to this this man, who is he saying that to? Because I think that that is key. Um, and you know, um, I think you said that you believe that he might be pointing that right at the disciples. Why? Why do you say that, by the way? Uh, well, because when he goes in the in the last point, it's kind of like the rest of the story. When mm-hmm. they ask why they couldn't do it, he gives them the answer. But uh, some of the commentaries that I looked at. Um, Talked about how Jesus is coming down from the mountain and they're kind of doing a parallel when Moses comes down from the yeah, mountain. Yeah, you know, you think about that, right? The, he has an unbelieving bunch of people like... Worshiping so, a golden cow. So it's almost like <laughs> Jesus is like, you know, I give you all this authority and power. I go away for the weekend. I come back <laughs> and you're in this debate and this guy's sitting here and you can't help him. You know, it's like he's frustrated with them, basically. Mm-hmm. Now everybody hears everybody hears the speech. Everybody hears what he says. Right. Um, but it's almost like he's talking to his people, which would include then the scribes and all the Jewish people. Because let's let's be frank, the man wasn't getting any help from the religious leaders on the other side either. No, 
they didn't have any answer for him. Right. In fact, their answer was probably, well, you're you're a sinner, or this kid's sin, somehow or another, yeah. this is why this is happening. Right. Um, so, yeah, so... Um, so, so I think I think when he says you unbelieving generation, then I kind of made the parallel to where we're at today. That you know that's how you would describe America mm-hmm. uh, at, at the point where it's becoming more and more secular, more and more unbelieving. Sure. And so even if there's people that want to believe, they're kind of stuck because maybe they've been to church and maybe they went to a more liberal church or a more ritualistic church or. Maybe they, you know, because let's let's be honest. A lot of times, if you go to a, a liberal church, they're talking politics too, mm-hmm. but from the other end, right? Yeah. Or they go to church; it's all about a program or change your life, um, your best life now, right? But there's no real how do I get my life? Tra- I need a transformation, and that's when I brought it back to the gospel. That's that's really what transforms people, and that's what people need. But if we're not, if if we're all we're given is the good works without the good news, then they're going to come up empty as well. So that's kind of where I was thinking of when I when I came up with that point about this, the church had lost its spiritual power. Right. So um, how, how easy do you think it is for, for the... I mean, it's, it shouldn't be, right? I mean, the, our, our whole foundation is Jesus Christ. How easy is it for the church to lose its spiritual power by unplugging from Jesus? In all honesty, it's it's actually a really easy temptation to fall into, mm-hmm. and I don't say that proudfully either. But because we can get caught up in so many things, like like you were talking about, vision, success, this and that, and we just totally lose sight of be like Jesus, grow in sanctification, love Him more, and love neighbor. Mm-hmm. And when we get away from that, that's when we start to kind of go away from that power. And when we, uh, the power never leaves inside of us. We just kind of leave the power with our actions. Yeah. And that's when we tend to just go all these other things and start getting into like behavior change instead of heart change, kind of like your best life now. Right. Um, you know, you can have, you know, your best life now, but what about like eternity and things like that? So. Right. Yeah. Jeremiah, I know, I think you and I have had this discussion before, but some people might claim that we don't see as many like miracles now. Like, when we talk about like spiritual power, where well, I mean, right here's a miracle, right? And then in the early church, you see lots of miracles, and then when you you hear about like missionaries on the field, you seem to see those miracles. Do you think there's a correlation here between the lack of spiritual power and 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 the the number of miracles slash you know? supernatural kind of acts that we see or don't see? Uh, this is one of those questions that every time you ask it, I'm probably going to have a different answer. <laughs> it's a di- it's a difficult one. Um, I was actually just, well, I watched two videos on that same subject this week, and so there's a lot up in my mind about it right now. But I think in general, if I can speak in generalities, there, there seems to be a heightened spirituality um, when things are actually being done in the church, uh, both, both negative spirituality and positive spirituality. So like in the mission field, um, when, when people are being intentional, it seems like the enemy is also trying to be intentional. Mm. Uh, and of course, it's going to get ramped up when, when the God of the universe is on, is on the, the, 
God himself is on earth uh, than the, the principalities and spirits. And actually, I'm talking a little bit about this Sunday uh, in my sermon coming mm-hmm. up. That's one of the reasons I watched the videos. But um, I think in Jesus' time, it was heightened. Um, and I do think we have a tendency to, to read the Bible and see all these miraculous things. But, but we forget that we're talking about like 7,000 years. Mm-hmm. So if you can count all the miracles, I don't know what, 500? I don't know how many miracles are in the Bible. Um, but 500 over 7,000 years recorded is not as much as you would think. Um, sure. But there was definitely <clears throat> periods, like with Elijah, big periods of miracles. And then with Jesus, big periods of miracles. And with the church, big periods of miracles. Sure. I think <clears throat> miracles still exist. And I think I think that when we pray for, for miracles, uh, they still happen. Um, I've experienced them myself, I would say. Um, now, have I ever exercised a demon? Not that I know of. Have I ever... <laughs> but have I ever prayed for the exorcism <clears throat> of a demon? The answer to that is yes. Um, now, I don't know if that was answered or how it was answered, but mm-hmm. I, ha- I have prayed. Um, so... And I don't even know if the person was demon possessed. That's another whole another <laughs> whole another thing. So it, yeah, when you're a youth, it's minister, a tough you pray one. for a lot of demons to be. <laughs> but I, I know you're talking about your experience, like probably in Peru, right? Yeah, well, uh, multiple experiences. Yeah, uh, a lot of it was for me in Peru, um, but I think that's because I was I felt like I was the only Christian in a in a like vast area. Like a lot of space, uh, and there was a there was a culture of of a demon uh, in the in the community. Mm-hmm. Um, there were stories of a demon, and there's a culture of being afraid of this demon. Um, I don't know if that's because the demon was actually there, or or they just had a culture of making stories up. I tend to think there was actually a presence there, mm-hmm. um, but. Who knows? <laughs> Sorry, I can't offer anything better there. Well, no, I mean, I, I, I think, uh, I think that's a good answer, and 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 in fact, I think I, I tend to agree with you that I think that certainly during the time of Jesus's ministry on earth, what was recorded in our in the Gospels, um, there seems to be a heightened amount of demon possession and and such, and it would make sense that that's because. You have the incarnate, mm. like you said, the incarnate Son of God yeah. walking on the earth at that time. So I think there, the 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 um, the opposition was certainly, as you said, ramped up during that time. So, but I, I do wonder. Um, I do wonder if if because my experience has been when I've been on the mission field, I tend to see things happen that that I've not seen happen in, in, in when I come back home from the mission field. And I think part of that's because, well, it's a number of things, but I think one is that uh, while you're on the mission field, you're in this, especially if it's an international mission field, you're in this, um, you're in an uncomfortable place where you become more dependent on God and less dependent on yourself. And as a result of that dependency, I think you see more stuff happen. I, I, I just do. Mm-hmm. And so I think part of, you know, well, I don't think the church has completely lost its spiritual power. Um, I do think that that we've lost, at times, maybe 
um, we're just too dependent on ourselves, Jeff. We're, yeah, we're, when I, when we're too I say, dependent yeah. on ourselves. And when I'm saying church, I'm I'm including born again Baptist churches and liberal churches. Sure. And uh, you know, you uh, you're including Catholic, I'm, I'm, you're including I'm, church universities, yeah, so, right? So, the, the bigger, so, the bigger. So if you look at the church, and if I'm if I'm a non-believer and I walk into a church, whether it's a Presbyterian, Catholic. I'm expecting one thing. Yeah. If I'm looking for Jesus. Mm-hmm. So what am I going to get when I get there? Yeah. And so that was my whole idea. And even at Rosa Sharon, you know, we would consider ourselves, you know, conservative, Bible-believing, born-again, you know, traditional, Southern Baptist, all, all the lingo. But, you know, if you walk into our church, you know, are you going to feel the, the, the presence of the Spirit? Do you see people's lives being changed? Do you... Do you get a sense of, you know, they're preaching the gospel, and I can I can get a clear answer to who Jesus is mm-hmm. and what He came to, on earth to do, right? As opposed to if I go to church X Y Z on down the line, what mm-hmm. am I going to walk into? And that's kind of what I was getting people to think about in our culture we live in. Even if they don't even walk into a church, if they just go to your website or right. or click on a, a message, like you said. You know, what are you going to see? What right. are you going to sense out of it? So. It reminds me of, uh, I think it's the story that Dietrich Bonhoeff, of Dietrich Bonhoeffer when um, famous German theologian, obviously, um, he was invited to come to America. And I think he went and he visited some churches and was just shocked at how long it took them to get to Jesus. Yeah. Um, and, and uh, it, you know, and I, I remember hearing um, uh, Leonard Sweet, another uh, Christian author, um, say something very similar that, one of the tests that he has of churches is is when he goes to visit a church, how long does it take him to mention Jesus? Mm-hmm. And he said, you will be shocked at how well, long. I mean, some, some people, you know, he says, some churches you go to and you never hear the word Jesus. You never hear the name Jesus. I mean, there's, there's churches here in our, our city and they have their programs on TV. And sometimes if I'm flipping through, I'll watch it just to kind of see. And uh, it sounds more like a lecture or a... Uh, political speech. Right. And I'm talking about liberal. I'm not talking. I know what the conservatives kind of say and believe. Right. But I'm looking at other churches and other things. And you know, there's a lot of black African American churches in our area too. So I watch some of those sermons and mm-hmm. stuff. And you're like trying to get a sense of what's going on out there. Right. Because there is. There's clearly not a one. This is Christian churches. This is what we believe out there. You're there's right. There's a myriad of of. Um, and that, I think that in, that increases the doubt. Yeah. I do. I, I agree. So, I agree. And so that gets us to um, let's go to this 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 fellow himself because you, you know your third point is that some people just struggle between I'm going to say belief and and, and, and doubt right or unbelief um, when they have uncertainty and, and and this guy clearly does. I mean he he um, they, they I read this earlier but they they bring the 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 uh, the boy to Jesus. And he says that the man says, but if you can do anything, have compassion. If you can do anything, if, if, if you can do anything, I don't, that, that says, I don't know whether you can or not. Yeah. But clearly he believes that he, he says, I, I, well, I, his disciples couldn't. So, right. If they can't, you know, are you, gonna, how are you going to, are you, are you really able to do this? You know, and if my religious authorities, the scribes are saying he can't do anything. Right. So. And he says, if you, if, if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. So if, if it is possible for you to do this, please have mercy on us and, and help us. And then Jesus, like, if I can, do, do you, you know, like, he's asking <laughs> that question, like, 
What do you mean if? if yeah. yeah, if, if I back, can. Yeah. He says, everything is possible to the one who believes. And then this man says uh, very poignantly, I do believe. Mm-hmm. He says it with an... In most, in most translations, it comes with that exclamation mark. He cries out, I do believe. And then I can just imagine him saying, well, help my unbelief. You know, I, I, I do believe. I, if I didn't believe, I wouldn't have brought him to begin with. I do believe, but I'm not saying I don't have doubts. And, 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 um, and so this gets into a question that, I, I, that we're sort of addressing, and, and we, we spent some time addressing in, in a life group study we're doing on this very text right now. Um, that I'll bring up here because I think a lot of people as I I said at the outset of this uh, uh, podcast today um, I think everybody at some level doubts Mm -hmm. I just think everybody doubts and the question that I think people ask all the time is um, is it wrong for me to doubt right is it is it a sin for me to doubt and um, the discussion that we were that we're having in our our life group um, on on a um, curriculum written by a guy named Barnabas Piper. And Barnabas says this, he says, he says, it depends. Mm. He says, it depends. Because he says there's believing doubt and then there's unbelieving doubt. And the, the way he couches it is, is unbelieving doubt is doubt that you, you re- you're like, it, you refuse to even acknowledge that you're having it. You're not trying to struggle with it. You're just kind of ducking your hand, head in the sand. and it's kind of like me and the Hurricanes right now. I have <laughs> unbelieving doubt that they're going to win this thing. I don't have unbelieving doubt. I, I, actually, I actually... I'm done with them. You know, they're, they're I, have, I, I have believing doubt. I think they can do it. But anyway... I, <laughs> so that's kind of like... That's kind but, of but what there you're is, talking about. Yeah, yeah. So, so his point is that unbelieving doubt is sinful. Because at some level you're not believing at all, mm-hmm. right? You're you're you you're not you're uh, there's there's no there's no belief there because belief leads to when it, when it encounters doubt, belief leads to struggle, and so this guy's struggling, mm-hmm. right? And so I don't think his doubt in this instance is one of somebody who's an unbeliever. And something in that uh, study, too, by Barnabas Piper, he says that faith isn't the lack of doubt. It's the correct response to doubt. Yeah. And that's based on Hebrews 11.1. Right. And you see that eventually this guy comes around to having the correct response to doubt, and that's Mm -hmm. faith in Jesus Christ. And I think that's important for us to note, too, because a lot of us aren't going to doubt, like you say, and it's not, you know, doubts are just going to come naturally. They're just going to be there. Right. There's no getting around it. You're going to have doubts. So it's not sinful to have a doubt because it's just it's going to come natural. It's what you do with it is whether it's going to be sinful or not, sinful or not. Right, yeah. right. And so I think, I think this guy represents that sort of believing doubt. Um, mm-hmm. one, uh, one of the things that he brought up is, you know, you think, of, think, think in your mind, who are some famous doubters in Scripture? Like famous people who... Yeah. who who struggle with unbelief or struggle with doubt? Besides this guy, mm-hmm. like who who are some that come to mind? Thomas, Thomas Peter, Peter, right? Thomas. Look, look at Thomas, for instance. All the disciples. What, what is what is? Yeah. Said, He's risen. Like, right. Yeah. So look at Thomas, though. What's Jesus' response to Thomas? He goes to him and says, "Hey, look, you sit. You know, he says, touch, touch where they nailed me.' Right. You know? Right. So so here, you know, um, we think about like maybe John the Baptist. And Jesus' response to John the Baptist yeah. is, 
is along the same lines. Um, and you mentioned the disciples. You know, it said uh, some believe and some doubted, mm -hmm. right? This is after the post-resurrection, some doubted. And yet it doesn't say he rejected those who doubted, mm -hmm. you know, or that he said, get thee away from me. You're not worthy of my time. You know, he doesn't say that. But then I think of, um, and I think I heard it too, Judas. Yeah. And see, to me, Judas is an example of an unbelieving right. doubt. And, and how does that story end up? Well, it ends up with him hanging himself, you yeah. know, and missing out on the very salvation that he was looking for. I mean, at some level, he was looking for the Messiah, trying to make it happen. He had questions about whether Jesus really was Messiah or not. But instead of waiting and taking them to Jesus and trying to... I think if he had taken those questions to Jesus, Jesus would have explained himself. Mm -hmm. But instead, he goes to his grave with his questions. And if, and if I'm not mistaken, I think the only question I really ever remember Judas asking in Scripture is, Lord, is it I that's going to betray you? Yeah, and, yeah. And, you know, if he would have just taken those questions beforehand, he might not have ended up in the situation he was in. Yeah, exactly. And so I think um, I think this example in Scripture, you said you really like this prayer, Jeff. Yeah. You've gone to this prayer yourself a lot. Well, of I mean, times. yeah, I mean, because... Let's just face it, you know. Let's this prayer gets prayed all the time. I get cancer. Well, I believe I can be cured, but help me to. I, I don't believe I can be cured. So you're struggling. You got that doubt. I mean, everybody. I mean, right. so you got to be honest. That was the whole point of the whole thing. The man is honest. And I think the good thing about the prayer is, at first, when he asked Jesus, you know, can you have compassion on us? It's more. He's praying for his son. Sure. But when he gets here, it's. Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. Now he's at that point where now he's confronted and with this, all doubt. It's kind of like the woman. Yeah, I was going to say, it's the same it's thing the same we've seen over and over. That, right. that this is how you come to Jesus. And so this man had weak faith, but still he came to Jesus. Yeah. And so, you know, that's the great, that's the beautiful thing about salvation mm -hmm. is that some people can get saved and man, they're on fire and they believe everything and, you know, they're ready to go. Yeah. Other people get saved, but it's still a process of, okay, I've, I've made this decision. What does it mean? How do I live out my life? Uh, I have some questions about this. and So so it's it's for everybody. Sure. And you can't, like, say, well, if you if you believe, then you got to believe 100%. You can never have any questions or doubt. But that may be good for you, but that's going to leave out of probably about 98% of the people out there. Yeah. yeah. So, so, I mean, the thing is, we got to just... We don't want people to be um, where they can't do anything because of their doubt. And I think that that's our final point when the disciples say, hey, can't, why can't we do anything? He kind of gives them a remedy right. of saying, here's how you can have power and authority this way. So so for this man, though, I think um, I think his weak faith um, was accepted by Christ because he didn't call him faithless. Right. You know, um, and he 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 um, he helped the he helped the boy and the boy was healed. So I think he he accepted the faith that the man had, and that was enough for Jesus. And I yeah. think in our minds sometimes we want to have people to have stronger faith than even Jesus when it comes to him. Yeah. So Jeremiah, I'm thinking just my mind jumped to to James one, where uh, James writes in chapter one uh, verses five through eight he says now if any of you lacks wisdom he should ask god who gives to all generously and without criticizing and it will be given to him 
But let him ask in faith without doubting, for the doubter is like the surging sea driven and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. An indecisive man is unstable in all his ways. How do you reconcile like James' words there with what we're talking about here? Like, is, are, are these two things in controversy with one another? Because somebody might point to that and say, you know, oh, well, James says that doubting is a, is a problem, that doubting is a sin. Yeah, I mean, in like, in the faith healing movements, um, there's a strong emphasis on if, if you don't receive the healing that you're supposed to receive, it's not because God didn't want to grant it to you because Jesus always wants grants healing. Uh, in, in particular, like Bethel, they say that Jesus always heals every time. Um, and so if he doesn't, it's on you. Mm-hmm. It's because you had doubts. You don't have enough faith. Um, and I think that this text, uh, this other text, the Mark 9 text, actually helps us to see that, that like, it's just a little faith. Like, if you can have a little faith and a lot of doubt. Because um, even in all the synoptics, every one of them, uh, well, two, Matthew and Mark uh, use the mountain. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can move mountains. Right. He talks about the mustard. Is that the one where he talks about the mustard seed? That's the Matthew ones? one. Where yeah. He talks about you can move mountains if you have the right. faith of a mustard seed. So Matthew, I mean, Mark never says... No, Mark. Yeah. Mark doesn't. Mark see doesn't. It. The Matthew was the only one that added um, that. That's well, why Luke I said does that. too. He he adds the uh, the sycamine tree. You can up uproot yeah. the sycamine tree and put Throw it, it in. The ocean. So he gives examples of, of things you could do mm-hmm. that are possible mm-hmm. uh, with just a little bit of faith, just like a small amount of faith. So that's why I like this text, right? It's it's such a good prayer because Jesus says, "You have little faith. This is why you can't." cast this demon out i'm tired of this generation and how long am i going to be with you and this is going to keep going on uh and so the 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 father now recognizes his greater need he's like man i believe where where am i unbelieving help my unbelief help my doubt yeah i i believe uh lord um but like help me help help me have more faith help me have this faith that you're talking about uh, I think that's just a great prayer, um, a very practical thing. Yeah, so it doesn't mean that, that uh, and again, even that James passage I don't think is talking about that you that you have to have 100% certainty or, or, or else you're... That it's on you. That it's on well, you, Well, and he's right? saying you're going to be unstable in all your ways. In other words, if, if I'm just wavering between doubt and faith all the time and I can't never get a handle of it on it, then I will be unstable at all. Mm-hmm. It's not necessarily I'm gonna be a. I don't think he's actually calling it a sin. It's just like it's just a bad way to live your life. You don't mm-hmm. have to live that way. Ask for wisdom. God will give you the wisdom in the situation you're facing. Yeah. Right. You know? And then again, you know, I, I go back to to those those doubters that we can think of in Scripture, and all all of those guys. You know, um, you know, Thomas asks. Um, John asks. Um, uh, you know, even you know, Peter asks, you know, because, um, you know, he, he he takes his eyes off of Jesus and he starts sinking when he's on the on the waves, right? And he asks for help. I mean, all these guys, they ask, and Jesus always responds and often responds immediately. Like, there's no delay. And, um, but Judas doesn't ask. And, and I think that's the thing. I mean, James is saying, if you ask 
you're going to get that answer, especially when it, in terms of salvation. Yeah. But if you're not, if you're not going to do that, then you're you're, you're going to you're right. You're going to be unstable. If all you ever do is is you know hold on to that and you don't ask or you do, you ask um, uh, without uh, with doubt or whatever. So. Yeah. Sorry. Mark eleven is where it's it talks about uh, the mountain. Mm. It's after the barren fig tree withers. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, he says, have faith in God. Truly, I tell you, if anyone says to this mountain, be lifted up and thrown into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says will happen, it will be done for him. So there's, again, one of those passages about believes in his heart and does not doubt. Um, and I could, I could definitely see why you would read that and think this thing that I'm asking for is not happening because I doubt. Mm-hmm. And so I think Jesus, the, the prayer of this man is so significant for that because it's not about your doubt, right? It's not, it's not, you're not receiving it because you doubt. I think it's just showing there's a, there's a greater need. Right. Um, and Jesus is showing there's a greater need here. Even, even more than this, this kid who has a demon possession, right? There's a greater need. That greater need for us is our unbelief. It's our lack of faith. Mm-hmm. Um, and all of us have it. Right. right. You could pray this prayer every day and it still be applicable, <laughs> right? Yeah. yeah. I mean, or you could pray it every hour probably and this it still be applicable. It's not a vain, repetitious type of prayer. Like um, you could pray every day for uh, forgiveness of sins, right? That's not vain repetition. That's constant need. <laughs> right, right. That's correct. I, 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 see, I see it in the same way. Well, then that gets us to that fourth point, and and that's that is that Jesus clearly tells them what, what you know what's going on here. And it, it strikes me, guys, when I'm when I'm reading through this, that that um, the reason why I'm wondering, I don't know, maybe this is me, but he says, you know, um, he tells them the reason why they can't they they can't do it. And he says this kind only comes uh, uh, only can be removed through. Fasting and prayer, and I, I thought to myself too, this is a deaf and a mute. Uh, this is a deaf and a mute spirit, right? And so, is it possible that only only Jesus has the authority in this instance to speak to those who whose ears are completely plugged, right? Who's who's uh, who who are unable to to like the disciples speak, but the you know, maybe they, they don't have that authority to speak. And, and heal. And so the only thing you could do in this instance is pray and ask Jesus to come and fix this problem, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, because only Jesus is able to, to do this. I, 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 whether that's the case or not, I don't know if it has to do with the fact that the, the spirit was deaf and mute or not. Um, it just, I, I thought about that. Like, you know, these disciples, maybe they were speaking and the, the, the spirit's deaf and they're like, well, what are we supposed to do? Like everybody else we've spoken to, they could hear us, you know, and we could, we could communicate. We can't speak to someone who's deaf, they you know the 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 demon or whatever is not going to be able to hear us because this 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 child's deaf um, and he can't even speak back to us and so there's nothing we can do. They feel completely helpless, right? But Jesus, being Jesus, is able to speak over top of the deafness, mm-hmm. right? Even he, he can speak he can speak right to the heart, right? The the, the disciples can't do that. Um, I don't know if that's the case here or not. I'm not sure. But the bottom line is, it was going to take Jesus to do this. Mm-hmm. And what Jesus says is that this can only come, come from fasting and prayer. And Jeff, I think that your point was the same, that we realize that our power 
to save is not really our power to save. It's always been about plugging into Jesus. And how do we do that? Well, we pray. We bring them to Jesus. We, you know, if need be, we fast. We, we, we get, we, we really make those people who are... Especially if we know somebody struggling between belief and unbelief. Yeah, exactly. If we know that person, they work with us, or they're kin to us, or they're struggling with whatever, sin or addiction, you know... That gives us now a, a little template to say, I can start praying for this person, maybe right. fast for this person, and then begin to see what God starts doing yeah. in their life. And just from a real practical standpoint, Blake, I know you talk about this a lot. I mean, have you have you experienced that where you just focus on, I know you really like the idea of who's your one, right? Like you, you find the one person, you just really spend time praying for that individual, you know, taking time out of your schedule, giving up, you know, Time away from the Xbox or time away yeah. from the from 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 your basketball league or whatever to to actually spend time focusing on and praying for that individual. What what's the practical um, upshot of all that? So basically, uh, and it and like the little Who's Your One booklet, I can go by sometimes. Basically, at the center of every uh, evangelism movement is prayer, and. So praying for the person, and well, a good thing to do in that is, you know, you can focus on one person, you know, um, you can focus on that one person, and you can start this lifestyle of evangelism, kind of like what you're talking about with that, up. you can start this uh, upshot of evangelism, so you can kind of get your feet wet in evangelism, it's like, hey, you know, Lord, just put on my heart somebody who needs you, you know, mm-hmm. and Lord, give me an opportunity to share you Give me the wisdom to see it and the courage to take it. And I promise you he is going to answer that prayer. Mm. Um, he is going to give you the opportunity to make a disciple because he said to go make disciples. Mm-hmm. And when we're, in that, uh, uh, when we're in that field of evangelism, we become a part of God's greater plan. That's probably the greatest part about it is we get to be God's messengers about him. Sure. <laughs> That's the greatest part about it is that God's chosen like us to be his messengers, mm-hmm. which is humbling at the thought of it. And we can just go and be a part of his greater plan. Yeah, I like that. Jeremiah, it's been my experience. If, 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 I'm, if I'm spending time focusing on an individual, it's not just the fact that, that I'm asking God to do something in their lives, but in, in, in some ways I'm, asked, I'm, 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 I'm becoming a part of that process and... I'm going to be more, I think, praying for an individual in a very focused way. Or like you said, even fasting, right? But for that individual in a very focused way um, causes me to be even more sensitive to those opportunities. Do do you understand what I'm saying? Yeah, even if it's uh, like an enemy, right? (laughs) Sometimes it's some of my greatest enemies, which that's air quotes, enemy. Um, like you spend time praying for someone who's wronged you, and it's really hard to. Like, I mean, pray for them. Don't pray against them. <laughs> yeah. Pray <laughs> for them. <laughs> and pray for yourself that the reconciliation would would happen. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It's really hard the next time you see them not to just automatically have a better spirit about it, have a better, more compassion about the situation. Yeah. And you like to say if you take like Joe at work. And you talk to Joe about the hockey game and everything else. And then if you get, get a burden for Joe, you start praying for Joe and say, okay, Lord, I need to, I need to really pray for him. Uh, he's struggling or he wants to know, and I need to have those opportunities. Then all of a sudden, when you start doing that, then you become more in, in tune or attuned to what's going on in their life. And then so a comment may be made, 
that you can say, okay, and that gets you in a direction to start talking about spiritual things. Right. You're actually listening for it then, right? Yes. Because, you, because you've been praying about it, right. you're actually listening You're listening for those and opportunities. It's more, and it's coming from them too, so it makes it more that, that this is an opening God's made as yeah. opposed to... You know, you take trying a crowbar to jam, yeah, I'm trying and just to, yeah. jamming the door yeah. open, right? And I feel yeah. like when you have the one or two people who you've kind of set aside to, with it, it's not so much a project. You know, you don't look at them as projects, but right. as people. Yeah. When all you're doing is just trying to relate with them and just doing life with them, yeah. showing that true life is found in Jesus Christ. Yeah. Well, some really great insight from this uh, powerful prayer that we find in Mark nine, and uh, I, I, you know, um, whether you're somebody who feels like you you know you never doubt or whether you're somebody who feels like you doubt all the time i think this is this is um uh, relevant it's it's relevant to where we are today and relevant to you and so i encourage you to um to pray for those who are struggling with unbelief and if you're someone who struggles with unbelief recognize that you're not alone and that you have a savior who loves you despite your unbelief and is there for you. And we're here for you too. That's right. All right. So listen, um, next Sunday, Jeremiah is up to bat. It's graduation Sunday this Sunday, Jeremiah. Um, uh, you've kind of gave us a little bit of a sneak peek and give us, give our listeners uh, an idea of what we're going to be looking at. Yeah. So we're going to be talking about Ephesians 6, 10 through either 20 or 24. It doesn't really matter because it's the end of the book, but um, and it's on like the full armor of God. And, oh, okay. Yeah. So, so we're gonna be talking about the full armor of God at, at some some degree. So yeah. that'll be a fun discussion to have uh, next time we're together again. So thanks for tuning in this week. Um, make sure and uh, you know, again share this with other people. Drop us a line at rosbcpastors. That's plural at gmail.com. Let us know what you think or if you've got questions or. Man, if you're struggling with doubt and you just want to talk to somebody um, who can understand, we, we, we're, we're there for you. So thanks again for joining us. Have a great rest of your week, and we'll see you next time. So long.